You can tell when a sermon's called Scars, it's probably going to be a good sermon, right? Well, don't judge a book by its cover. But this is a pretty heavy, going to be a pretty heavy message. I just want to forewarn you. Um, I mean, the Bible's a heavy book. Christianity in and of itself, following Jesus, is both simple and incredibly complex. It's, it's both a, a light burden that God has given us, but it's also filled with days of, of, of sadness because you're mourning with somebody. As we shared these prayer requests this morning, when someone shares that a family uh, has lost their mother or a family has lost a child, we mourn with these folks. And so there are times where in Christianity the, the, the toll on our heart is very heavy and very high. Now we cast these upon the Lord. We, we give them to him and we ask him to give us peace where, uh, where there is no peace or peace in the midst of chaos nonetheless. But, but there are times of heaviness. And so we're going to deal with a time of heaviness, the last part of the book of Galatians. Our sermon series, we named it the return of the gospel. In Galatia, the gospel had been preached but forgotten. And I don't mean forgotten in the sense that everybody just forgot what was said. As soon as Paul preached and then left, false teachers infiltrated. And they didn't come and say, hey, Paul was wrong. They came and said, you know what? That's a good teaching Paul had. Let me add a little bit to it. Let me add a little bit to it. And let me just keep adding a little bit, putting my own two cents, my own opinion on the gospel of Jesus. And by the time Paul writes to the church some 15 years later, the gospel is completely opposite of the original message that he preached. In chapter 1, he comes and tells them, there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. Even if I, Paul, come and preach to you a different gospel, I am accursed. Let the men who preach a different gospel be accursed. These are heavy words. These are, these are not things that Paul's. He's not just throwing a spiritual hissy fit. He's come in to change the culture of Galatia because, honestly, it's gone downhill since he left. And so throughout the book, there are times where I always go back to uh, Galatians chapter 3 where Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, I fall into to sin when, I, when, I, when I'm tempted by temptation. I remember that verse. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who came and talked fancy to you? Who came and talked quick to you? Who conned you into forsaking the Lord to pick up this, this which is just... Uh, pales in comparison. There's a lot of heaviness in this book, in this short letter, just some six chapters. And we're going to end with one of the most heaviest remarks. And this is something that's been really heavy on my heart these last few weeks. Uh, I've looked, uh, I say anxiously, not in a fearful sense, but anxiously, I really want to share this message because I think that so many of you need to hear this this morning. And so I let, allowed the Lord and his providence to – we scheduled it out. It was going to be today. So if you're here today, I hope that you hear this message, and it's, and it's something that, that you hear the Lord in, and it helps change just everything. So turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Now, as you're turning there, not only am I going to take a drink of water, but I'm going to remind you of last week's message, which was all about community. Paul talked about uh, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, uh, so he will reap. And you know, a lot of false teachers go about and say, see, you've got to give to the minister or pastor or the, or the church so that God will bless you. Sow into it so you can reap a blessing. 
And in, in, in context, what Paul is preaching is that there is a community that we have here. We give to one another, not because, not because we're obligated to, but because we love one another. And we looked at the church in uh, Acts chapter 2, and we looked at how without command, but simply hearing the gospel of Jesus preached, they all collectively came together. Some 3,000 believers, brand new, didn't know anything. All they did, they heard the gospel, hey, we got to get together. And they served one another, and they loved one another, and they had dinner with one another, and they prayed with one another, and they went to church and committed themselves to the apostles' teachings. If, the apostle, if one of the apostles was having a Bible study, they went. If one, of the, if one of the families was in need, somebody did something to help them. And they did this all without command. They were dedicated without being commanded to be dedicated. Their only command was to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. They did that. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that infilling of the Holy Spirit draw, drew them together like a magnet. And so... So I want you to, if you haven't heard that message, please, that's a big one because in our world, uh, the major Christian theme is, you know, give so that God will give you something. Sow so that you will reap a blessing. God, God loves you. If you've ever caused your child to give to you so that you may bless them, that's a bad, I mean, if I told my child, I really want to buy you a bike, but first you've got to give me a tire. So I can't give you the bike without the tire. You've got to give me your money. I'll give you the bike. That's called a scheme or a, 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 a just a, a, a trick. Hey, you give me something. I'll give you something. No, we give to our children because we love them. I, here you go. Wow, you got me a bike. I didn't even do anything. I know. I just love you. Here's a bike. Now watch out. I might take the bike out of discipline, but I give to you freely. Here's your bike. Enjoy the bike. Moving on to Galatians chapter uh, 6, verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you, with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul wraps up the letter, a final goodbye after, after writing so much to, to just change the culture in Galatia. Short letter, but it's like, a, it's like a pinprick to the heart of the church. These are the things that you're doing wrong, and they need to change because you're, you're quickly becoming a, a church that's not for Jesus, but a church that's only for people. And church is for people, but it's first for Jesus. It's about Jesus, to proclaim Jesus so that people may know about Jesus. And so Wednesday we talked about how false teachers, um, some of them might teach the right thing, but they teach it for the wrong reasons. They teach it for their own glory, for their own edification, for their own uh, financial portfolio. They may preach for uh, just to gain the power or authority over other people to make a name for themselves. 
There are some, though, that preach and they willingly preach the wrong thing. Church, it is not, it is not my job to go into everybody's house, to look at your bookshelf, to look at your internet history, to see who you've been listening to or reading, and then tell you no, yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Don't listen to them, only listen to this person. What you need to do is to develop discernment. Now, some of us have the gift of discernment. This means this is something that God has given to us. We just seemingly can discern between truth and lies, uh, and it's a gift. But, but all of us have the ability to hone uh, the gift of discernment or to, to hone the, the natural discernment that God has given us. And so the, what that means is, is we need to be able to be uh, in our word so much that when someone preaches or teaches something that is false, we can identify it. That when someone comes up here and says, if you sow into this ministry, then God will give to you. If you sow $54.17 because of Isaiah 54 and 17, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. If you sow into this ministry that God will bless you a hundredfold and you'll have $54,000. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good, right? And, and, and ears want to hear that. And there are men who will tickle those ears. But, but if we're not in our word, we'll hear that and go, oh, it must be true. He's wearing a suit. He's up there and I'm down here. He must be telling the truth. We have to be able to discern, you know what? He's up there and he has a suit and he sounds like he can speak well, but I don't think that that's true. I don't think what he's saying right now is the truth. And, and I'm going to go back to my word. That burden lies with you to pick up your Bible, to read it and to be in it consistently. On average, each household in America owns about five Bibles somewhere between four and five Bibles. But each person struggles to read their Bible even once during the week. And for those who probably said, yes, they read once during the week, they're probably doing it on a Sunday morning while the pastor is preaching because there's a Bible in front of them. And so false teachers get away with murder not because they're slick. That's part of it. But they get away with it because people aren't reading their Bibles. And so it's easy. Give me stuff. Oh, all right. Give you stuff and God will bless me. I don't read my Bible. Like that's, we have to be in the word ourselves. We will be held accountable for our lives. We will not be held accountable for what they have said. We will be held accountable for what we have heard and listened to. And so false teachers do not be fooled. False teachers exist in the church and they are looking to devour. Paul says, they're going they're looking around going to get men circumcised. They want men to get circumcised because then they can say, "You know what? I went into Galatia. I preached a barnstorming sermon and 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 men lined up to have to be circumcised." That that we had a circumcision Sunday and and it was just we had a potluck afterwards and we handed out bags of ice. And it was a great Sunday. And I had 15, 20, 30, 100 men line up. How about you? Oh, well, I preached over here, and we had 200 men. The, the blade went dull. That's how many people we circumcised that day. This, nothing is different. Nothing, I say that, I don't say that to be funny. I say that because this is the mentality of false teachers. To gain a following, to get people to look to them 
to give to them, to devote themselves to them, to the point where they will mutilate their own bodies. That's devotion. Paul says that's those men who command that. They don't, they're not even circumcised themselves. We call this hypocrisy. And we hate it and we do it. Isn't that, isn't that funny? We hate hypocrisy, but we end up being hypocrites. Paul says they are commanding circumcisions, they themselves not being circumcised. And so we have to beware and watch and see. Now, don't be paranoid. Don't go home and shut all the windows and get under your bed and say, oh, everybody's out to get me. No. Pick up your Bible. Read your Bible. When you see somebody on a television program, which has been edited, which has been made more palatable, just exercise. What, what did he just say? Okay, he quoted that scripture. I'm going to go to it. Okay, he quoted it correctly, but, but what context is it in? And then ultimately, if, if you feel just something in you says, you know, this is wrong, but I don't know why, then you talk to somebody like me, a pastor. And I'll do my best. I'll say, well, that guy was either right or wrong, or just do my best to together get to the truth, not just throw people under the bus or not just do some kind of spiritual witch hunt, but to, to get to the truth because that's all that matters. Some folks who follow after false teachers without, without discernment, meaning they just love the experience. Because if you see, and this is not – Many of you maybe are thinking right now, big churches, mega churches. No, it could be as small as our church, as big as a mega church. These things happen all over in all different contexts. But you might see someone in a service and people are caught up and excited. You might say, wow, I want to be a part of that. And when they're preaching the truth, that's good. But if they're not pre preaching the truth, that's bad. To get sucked up into that and to forsake the truth of the gospel for an experience. And I guarantee you that anybody, any church, any group that will forsake the truth of the Bible for an experience will get an experience minus the Holy Spirit. They will get an experience without God. They may even get an experience with something demonic that is, that is masquerading as an angel of light. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that, that men who really desire this in their heart, that that God will give them over to that so they may see the futility of it, to see the folly of it, so that one day they'll wake up and go, what in the world am I doing here? I, I'm, I'm punching people in the spirit. I'm, just, I'm chasing after gold dust and feathers. I, what am I doing? None of this is biblical, but I'm caught up in it. It's God allowing us to see the depravity. You go back to the prodigal son. You see that he felt the depravity of his choice, and then he came back to his father. He didn't come back to a father who was shaking his finger. He didn't come back to a dad who said, no, son, tough love. You made your bed, now sleep in it. He came back to a father who ran after him. Read the story of the prodigal son. The dad is running. He's got his arms wide open. The son can barely get out. Dad, I just want to be hired by you. I realize that my choices were stupid, and, 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 and I just want to come home. I'll work for you. Father will have nothing to do with that. He embraces his son, throws his arms around him, gives him a robe, puts a ring back on his finger, symbolic of, of the authority of his father's house, and reinstates him. And then throws a party. They have a barbecue. 
nothing funner than a barbecue on a Sunday afternoon, right? Where, where you just get together and you cook something and you just all eat it and then you just, you just go comatose the rest of the afternoon. That's what they do. Now, this, now, don't miss this. The son came back in repentance. He didn't just walk in and say, hey, Dad, you were right. Okay, I'm going to be in my room. Listen to the Led Zeppelin and playing Xbox. No, he didn't do that. He came back to dad, his dad and he came back to his dad in, in, in repentance. Dad, you're right. I made a wrong choice. I'm I'm sorry. He felt he felt the depravity of his choice. He wasted his inheritance. He slept and, and longed to eat what the pigs were eating. Have you ever seen what a pig eats? They, they don't eat good stuff. They eat the stuff that nobody else wants to eat. He looked at that and said, oh, I'd eat that. I'm so hungry. And, and in that, God's, God's grace is even extended in that. And so we've got to be very careful. God will give us the desires of our heart. If our desires are bad, he'll let us see that they're bad. Galatians 6 and 13 says, For even those who are circumcised... Do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Before you ever met Jesus, you probably knew something was wrong. Constantly feeling like you were behind, constantly feeling like nothing was good enough, constantly feeling like uh, my best efforts just go, there's no good positive coming from it. I have these glimmers of success, but then they, they just quickly fade into to trial or tragedy or, or just something happens and, and, and it's just, it's never enough. You just know something's wrong. And so natural tendency without Jesus is to do religious stuff, light candles, wear a shawl on your head while you pray, face a certain direction, go to a, a, a spiritual or religious place. Now, don't get me wrong, many a saint or many a sinner has become a saint because they went to a holy place like a church. Because that's all they knew. Grandma took me to church, I must go back to the church. And and they meet Jesus that way. But don't be fooled into thinking that God can't catch you or get you or or or, or uh, uh woo you outside of the walls of this church. He is he is with you at work, he is with you at the marketplace, he is with you at home, he is with you in the living room or in the bedroom or in the backyard. He's with you when you're driving. He's with you all of the time. And so our natural tendency is to do these types of things to please God. Right now in, in, in Islam, in the Islamic faith, there's a huge pilgrimage happening. It's a yearly thing because their belief is they must go to a holy place to please their God. And we understand that, that God is the creator of all the earth, that that this world may be corrupt, but it belongs to the Lord. It is his. And whether we are here at this altar or we are at the altar of, of our bed and we're just on our knees or whether we're in our office or we're in our car, we pray. We, we pray straight to the ears of the Lord because of what Jesus has done. Not because of, not because of where we're praying or how we're praying, but because of what Jesus has done. And so false teachers always go with the outside in approach. Change the stuff on the outside and then the heart will be changed. That's, that's baloney. If we could do that, Jesus died needlessly. Jesus died on the cross because we can't change from the outside in. We must be changed from the inside out. Jesus must, must 
give us new life in him. We must be born again. This is what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again from the inside out, not the outside in. You can't go and mutilate your body and say, look, I have great faith in God. He must approve of me with a heart that's not changed. Paul says circumcision counts for nothing, which I'm sure there was a lot of men in Galatia that cringed when he said that because of the foolishness they had entered into, thinking that God would be pleased because of this physical act they had committed. To realize, I'm such a fool. God loved me before I did anything. God loved me like a son or a daughter before I ever did anything. God started to change me from the inside out. These things that I do on the outside should be an a, a, a outflowing of our hearts to, to the outside world. These outside in techniques, they don't change anything. They, we become whitewashed tombs, to use Jesus' words. Don't be fooled into thinking that the things that you change on the outside, while some of them might be good, that that makes you right with God. What makes you right with God is Jesus. What forgives you of sin is what Jesus did on the cross. Now, there are some things that you can do to keep yourself from sinning. Those are good things. If you have a problem with pornography, maybe not having the internet is a good idea. If you have a problem with drinking, maybe going to the bars with your friends is not a good idea. If you are always angry... Maybe dealing with that anger issue, it, it, that's a good idea. But know this, these outside things must change from the inside first. If you hold it together on the outside, but you're always angry in your heart, nothing's changed. You've just, you've just learned to you know, go ballistic when nobody else is looking. The false teachers came in and said, yeah, change all the stuff on the outside. Your, your salvation is incomplete without you being circumcised or, or worshiping on a certain day or, or reading a certain version of the Bible. Your salvation is incomplete. And maybe you don't do this, but there are people who will kill themselves to make sure that their salvation is secure, fooled into thinking that it's in their hands. The truth is our salvation was secured by what Jesus did on the cross. This is an incredibly liberating thing that God has done. That what God has done for us is something only he could do. Nobody else could do that for us. Paul says in, in verse 14, but far be it from me, far be it from me to preach circumcision, far be it from me to, to preach outside in changing, far be it from me to come to you with slick words, Far be it from me to con you into doing what is right, to trick you into doing what is right. Far be it from me from doing, uh, uh, to do that, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, first off, this word boast, for me, what I hear is bragging, being arrogant, being a jerk in the spirit. I don't like that. I'm not a big fan of arrogance. I'm not a big fan of, of being prideful. I like to watch football. I don't really care for the guys who are jerks out there on the field, disrespecting their coaches and disrespecting their team and making it all about them. The good news is that what Paul is saying, this word boasting, it does not mean that. 
Like, we should not come up here and say, hey, I'm a son of the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ. And be arrogant and prideful and, and, and make it seem as though I'm the one who has achieved something. I don't like that. I don't, I don't care for that. I don't trust the theology of a man who preaches like that. They might be dead on. I just I don't like that because it's foolishness. Paul says, far be it from me to boast in anything except for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This word is, is, is not just... It's not bragging. It's proclaiming, but it's also what you find your joy in. What do you find your joy in today? What brings you the most happiness? I guarantee you, you are sharing that with somebody. If you find a new website or you, or you have a new hobby or you read a new book and you have a great joy about it, you share with people, don't you? Oh, I just read this, read this amazing book. I bought it for Ollie's for like 99 cents, but it was great. I, I, I read one, a book by this author before, and I loved it. You should read it too. Or if you go to a restaurant, and it's a good restaurant, oh, they had cannolis, and they were amazing, and you should go there and buy cannolis. Maybe you got really good service at, at an at a auto repair shop, because that's really hard, right? To go to a place like that and get good service and not feel like you're being cheated. You find a good, reputable person and it's like, oh, I, I went to this mechanic and he didn't, he didn't lie to me. He didn't take advantage of me because I'm a woman. He didn't charge me more because I'm not a man. He actually fixed the things that he found. And he found a few more things and fixed those for free. It was awesome. You should go there too. This is what Paul is talking about. Far be it from him to boast in anything else except for the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Christ is the only thing that brings liberation to you and me. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that will matter in all of eternity. Where, what side of the cross did you fall on? Did you trust Jesus or not? Was, was his cross enough to forgive your sins? Or did you keep carrying your sins till the day that you died? Which one was it? The cross. The cross stands at the center of all things. And how you respond to the cross will greatly affect your eternity. And so today I challenge you, what, what are you boasting in? Does that mean you can't enjoy stuff? No, you get to enjoy stuff. It means you get to enjoy them properly. They no longer become an idol to you. They don't become these little gods in your house, and when they get removed, you freak out. Oh, they took the boat. If you're crying over a boat, the boat was probably your God. Oh, they took this. Oh, they took, oh, I lost this. That may have been your God. You may have lost it for that specific reason. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul has just got done saying, you know what? If we compare ourselves to one another, first I'm a Jew, God's people and all. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, like the elect of the elect. I'm in the special lineage of the, of the special people. I'm a Pharisee, 
So in the group of elected people, in the elected group of that elected people, I'm part of an even more uh, exclusive club called the Pharisees. When it came to God, I was zealous, so much so that I was killing the church. I mean, if you want to compare notes as to who's better, you or me, Paul's saying, I got you at every turn. I've got you at every stat. And it's rubbish, garbage, refuse, nothing. I care nothing about it. What I care about is knowing Jesus. What I care about is his cross. What I care about is becoming like him, obedient unto death, obedient to God, repenting of my sin. One thing that Jesus never had to do because of what he has done with my sin, something I could never do. That's my desire. The cross of Christ, not stuff. I don't worship stuff. Stuff is nice, but... It's not going to save me from anything. Now, here's, here's the big message today. All this to lead up to this. Paul, Paul it's, a, it's a last, one of the last verses. If you read too fast, you read right past it, and you miss it. You've got you to gotta land on this verse for just a little bit, and you've got to feel the weight of this. Paul says in verse 17, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul was a man who was more than acquainted with suffering shipwrecked multiple multiple times at one point he was almost tossed overboard because he was a prisoner and the the people that were manning the ship said you know what we got to get rid of stuff before we crash let's get rid of the prisoners that they've committed crimes let's just let them die in this storm in the ocean paul survived that shortly thereafter he's bit by a snake i've never been bit by a snake but i'm assuming it's pretty bad and he shakes that off he survives he, he's arrested and persecuted. He's, he's, used, uh, he's used as a, uh, as a scapegoat to start riots in the cities where he preaches. He's, he's he, in every sense of the word, persecuted for Jesus. And at the end of this letter, he says, I, I bear the marks on my body. I bear the scars on my body of Christ. Now, what Paul is not doing is he's not saying, look how great I am. I'm so much better than you. Here's what he's saying. First of all, let nobody trouble me with this stuff anymore. Listen, Paul has preached this message again. He's kind of tired with it. He's kind of fed up with the fact that, hey, I got to teach you this again. Let's get it right this time, okay? Last word of encouragement. By bear on my body the scars or the marks of Jesus Christ. There is a significant difference between wounds and scars. There is a significant difference between something that is gaping, a gash on your arm or leg that is bleeding, that is possibly infected, that must be cleaned and repaired, and something that has been healed up. Scars and wounds might come from the same place, but they mean something entirely different. Here's the danger that our church is falling, finding itself in. We're celebrating brokenness without preaching healing. So we have people who come into the church or come in and under the authority of a pastor or teacher who the teacher says, we're all broken. And that's, a, that's true. I mean, you're broken. I'm broken. We, we have broken aspects about ourselves. We, we're in trouble. We need Jesus. But then nobody says, 
You can be healed of that brokenness. Nobody says, that. don't stay there. They say, let's just revel in this. We're all broken. You're broken, I'm broken. We're all part of the same broken club. Let's, let's not be healed. Let's just celebrate our brokenness. Paul says, he doesn't say I have the wounds of Christ. He says I have the scars, the marks of Christ. Your open wounds do not preach the gospel of Jesus. Your scars do. Jesus carries the scars as well of what he has done because they preach the gospel to us. The good news, the good news, Isaiah 53 and 5, by his wounds we are healed. Church, you are broken. I am broken. We are broken. We have been messed up. Somebody has done something to us. They have sinned against us. Sin, in its essence, must take advantage of somebody else. If you think the sin of pornography is just you sinning, I guarantee you somebody else is hurting because of it. And if it is just you and a computer screen, the girl that's being objectified, she's the victim of your sin. If you think I just drink alone and nobody ever, you know, whatever, you have a wife or children or friends or a job that is suffering because of your alone sin. I guarantee you that if you are sinning today, that someone else is hurting because of it. How do I know this? Because we're broken because somebody else sinned and it hurt us. And I'm here to preach to you today that if you are broken, that is, that is okay. You are not at fault for somebody who sins against you, who takes advantage of you, who tells you one thing and then turns their back on you and betrays you. But now you must make a decision to allow those wounds to become scars, to allow them to, allow them to heal over. Because a wound, a wound makes you a, a liability, doesn't it? When you hurt yourself, when you have a gaping wound or you blow out your knee or you, or you hurt your back, that wound physically, it stops you from doing stuff you want to do, right? If somebody's going to do some work on a home and you blow out your back, you're not climbing the ladder anymore. You're going to go do office work because that's where we're going to have to put you to get you some work. But you're not going to go do the hard labor until your back is better. Church, if today, if you're, if you're broken, but you're just allowing yourself to stay broken, if you're celebrating that and sort of reveling in it, your life's not going forward and Jesus is not being preached in your life. The wounds must become scars. And you must allow the Lord to take these wounds and to heal them so that you too can walk and say, you know what? I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. I wasn't crucified. I wasn't broken like him, but still I bear these wounds. Here's the reality. Some of you might be thinking, crucified, wounds, marks, scars, wounds, this sounds serious. It is. Here's the truth. You're being crucified for something right now. I guarantee it. Only it's probably foolishness. I love football. Anybody here love football? Raise your hand. Okay, right on. Favorite team, Stephanie? Saints, Eagles, Packers. Who else raised their hands? Uh, Eagles, I'm assuming. Good, good answer. <laughs> Richard loves the Chiefs. What's my favorite team? That's right. Amen. Hallelujah. The Giants? That's my son's favorite. Son's favorite team is the Giants. Uh, Justin likes the Broncos. Alicia likes the Jets. We'll pray for her later. Um... Here's my point 
And all of you see, here's what here's what's being proven right now. We all have this passion for our team who we're affiliated with, right? And if we were to sit down right now and begin to hash out whose team is better, we would we would get to a, into a heated exchange. Because I would pull out the five Super Bowl thing, and then somebody would pull out, well, yes, not since 1994 thing. And then somebody would pull out this, and somebody would pull out that, and we'd just, ah! And we'd, we'd allow ourselves to be crucified for something so simple as a football team. Um, but my point is we're going to be, we're going to allow ourselves, we're going to put ourselves on the line to be crucified at the hand of some other person and their team. Maybe it's not football. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe your thing's politics. And you're willing to lay everything on the line for your thought or your belief or your congressman that you want to see or the governor that you want to see. And you're willing to be crucified for it. It has no eternal value, but you will stand up for it. Maybe it's your television show. Maybe it's a movie or an actor or a singer or a band. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But you're going to be crucified for it because you're taking a stand. And I'm here to tell you there's only one person, one idea, one thought, one concept, one belief, one faith that you should be willing to be crucified for. And that's Jesus. At that, you should be able to stand and say, no, I will be crucified for my belief in this. All the other things, you know what? I don't care. Yes, I have my passions. Yes, I have my hobbies, but they pale in comparison. They will fade away one day. But if I'm going to bear the marks for anything, it's going to be Jesus. I'm not going to bear the marks for my political party. I'm not going to bear the marks of, of some you know, creation versus evolution. I'm not going to bear the marks of homeschool versus public school. I'm not going to bear the marks for these things because, because ultimately I'm going to bear the marks for only one, and that is Jesus. And I'm going I'm to plead with you, encourage you to do the same. Don't mute your passions, but realize that there's a place where they stop. If someone else comes and says, oh, Dallas Cowboys, they're the best. You know what, buddy? Great. Great. Have fun with that. See you in December. Somebody comes to me and says, I like this team, that team. I believe in this politician or this one. I believe in this, this or that. Good. I won't be crucified for those things. I won't bear the marks for that. I will bear the marks for Jesus, though. Somebody comes to me and says, hey, I don't like that you're preaching Jesus. I'm sorry, but I'm not. I'm just going to keep doing that. Well, you should do it over there. Okay, well, I'm going to do it over there and over here. We'll put you in jail. Okay, well, then I'll preach, preach him in jail. What are you going to do? I have to preach Jesus. You have to preach Jesus. You will bear scars because of it, and that's okay. That means you're doing it right. It means you're following the right plan. You go to the book of Acts, Peter and John and a couple other disciples, they get flogged for, free, for, for preaching Jesus. They walk away celebrating. Yeah! I got 40 lashes. How many you get? Well, I kind of sideswiped one. They only got 39. All right! That one looks pretty deep. Well, that one looks pretty good. All right. We preach Jesus again. These men who are dying in their own sin, they heard about Christ. They heard about salvation. And we were counted worthy to suffer just like Jesus did. See, the word suffering, I might lose you just with that word. 
And I, and I, I agree with you that suffering for no reason or for a foolish reason, that's no fun. But suffering for Christ is something different. Suffering for Christ means that you went and you preached the gospel and now you suffer, but you did so by preaching the gospel, by giving life to other people. And now you might suffer because of it, but you're now you're bearing the scars of Christ just like Paul. You've got to let your wounds heal and you've got to make sure that you're not giving yourself new wounds for stupid reasons. Not just sin, but just taking stands for things that don't eternally matter. Should you take a stand for what's right and wrong? Absolutely. Should, should, should your hatred of our president be a reason to bear the marks on your body? I wouldn't. I'd rather just pray for him. I'd rather just pray for repentance. I'd rather just, I'd rather just pray that he'd get his act together and, and, and love Christ more than anything else rather than just throw him under the bus and destroy him. Because at the end of the day, he's a man who's going to be held accountable for his actions before the Lord. And without the Lord, he's going to face an eternity of hell, just like every other sinner. And if that doesn't scare you for any other person, you've got to be reacquainted with that. You've got to go back to that. Paul closes out the letter. Turn back a little. Oh, it's right here. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. This word means brothers and sisters. Don't get all uppity with me. With your spirit, brothers, amen. Church, the gospel of Jesus Christ must be preached. The gospel of all this other stuff, it doesn't matter. It's all foolishness in the end anyways, but the gospel of Jesus must be preached. We must work at it. We must make ourselves better at it. We must dedicate ourselves to God's word. We must see Jesus as the supreme joy of our life. We must get to that place. And that place, we get there through the Holy Spirit. And, and when Paul, or excuse me, when Peter preached that first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he preached to the people. He told them about Christ. And they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? Peter says, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this gift, this gift of the Holy Spirit, along with the gift of salvation, are the two greatest gifts that you could receive. Jesus says that God's a good father who gives good gifts, and that good gift is the Holy Spirit. And if you're wondering why, you know, I, I don't want to be a part of the church. I don't. I don't want to be with those people. I don't want to go to the potluck. I don't want to volunteer. I don't want to help teach the kids. I don't want to study or read my word. If that's kind of your mentality, then maybe, just maybe, you have not repented and been baptized in the name of Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit. Because the people in Acts chapter 2, as soon as they did, they just, it was like a vacuum. Like, we got to be together. We got to help each other. We got to love one another. We got to have dinner together. We got, you, got, you got a financial need? I'm going to help you. You got a financial need? I'm going to help you. You need help with your kids? I'm going to help you with your kids. You need help with your marriage? I'm going to help you with your marriage. The church is open and having a Bible study? I'm going to go. I'm not going to try to change the pastor. I'm going I'm to let the word change me. That's, that's the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been taught that it's speaking in tongues. It can be. I'm not here to tell you that's entirely wrong. But when you read Acts chapter 2, you see the initial reaction or the initial byproduct of people being filled with the Holy Spirit is coming together in community. 
and in love. And there was a desire to do it. Not just an obligation, but, but they wanted to. And if you don't want these things, then today is the day to ask for the Holy Spirit. I can't, I don't have it like in my pocket. I'm not like Peter Pan with pixie dust and I throw it on you and you get the Holy Spirit. And now you can fly, you know. It's not like that. I can't make it happen. I can't make you want it. If I could, I think Sunday mornings would go a lot smoother, but I can't. I can't, I can't speak it over you. I can't make him you know, fill you up. But what I can do is encourage you today to repent of your sins, to believe the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus is God, become a man who has died on a cross as a sinless man for our sins so that we might be forgiven by faith in him. That because of this, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit to overcome sin, Satan, and death. To, to walk daily in his power, not the power of ourselves. Because we've proven numerous times that our own power is insufficient. We need something more. We need someone else. And we have someone else. He's the third person of the Trinity. His name is the Holy Spirit. So stand with me now. There's a lot to process, man. I'm not preaching next week, so i got to get it all in this week. Let's be bold this morning. None of this eyes closed, heads up, seven up stuff. Let's all stand. Let's raise our hands. I'm going to go first. Who needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Who needs a power beyond yourself to do the things that God has called you to do? We all do. It starts with repentance. You might be saying, Pastor Shoney, I did that a long time ago. I know, you should do it again. It's probably necessary. Give your life to Jesus today. Richard, you got your hands up, but can you come play some piano for me? Something pretty. We're always talking about raising hands in church, right? You guys already put your hands down. My goodness. Keep your hands up. Let's pray. Jesus, some of us are physically unable to leave our hands up for a long time, and that's okay. If you need to put your hands down, put your hands down. But for the rest of you who are like me, who can put your arms up, for a few seconds, please leave them there. Jesus, we repent of our sins. We repent of pursuing a false gospel. We repent of allowing false teachers to speak into our lives and have authority over us. We repent for lacking discernment because of laziness. We repent, Lord, of putting you far down the list. Lord, I repent of putting you down the list of things that have to be done or the things that have to get done. I pray today, Lord, that we would find your forgiveness. And Lord, I ask that above all things, that you would that you would be glorified in our lives. We repent, Lord, and we ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we may not only speak in tongues, Lord, but that we may be filled with the Holy Spirit to be together, to be the family you've called us to be, to give and to love and to serve without hopes of it returning to us, but simply giving of ourselves giving it to people who aren't thankful, giving it to people who won't recognize it, but giving because we want to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we repent and we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in your name we pray, amen. Church, may lower your hands. This is not a do this, do that, then things will work out. A plus B equals C. This is allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct you. If you don't know what that means, start by going back to your word. 
Hear the voice of the Lord in his word. Allow him to speak to you. Allow him to talk to you. Learn about the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he's done for you. If you need help, ask me. Talk to me. Send me a message on Facebook or via text or, or call me on the phone. And just, we'll sit down and we'll have coffee. I will buy you a coffee. And, and we will talk about these things because without the Holy Spirit, you won't do any of this. Without the Holy Spirit, you will not be victorious. We need Him. God gave Him to us so that we would not be alone and that we wouldn't do this in our own power. We need this. I'm going to pray one more time. And then we'll go home. Amen? Jesus, thank you. I thank you that we find forgiveness in you every time we come to you. That even, even, that, even when we fall for our own reasons, that you still welcome us. Father, I pray today that, that we'd walk out of here and we'd see the difference between our power and the Holy Spirit's power. That we'd begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit as we, as we make decisions and go about our lives. That when he says to stop, we stop. And when he says to go, we go. That above all things, that the gospel of Jesus is preached, whether it's to our children, to our spouses, to our loved ones, to our workplaces, to, to anywhere we might go, Lord. I praise you. I pray for every person here to experience this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.